This is a CNA podcast. Hey guys, so I opened up my socials the other day and I saw one of my friends recording a video when she was eating dinner at a restaurant by herself. She was solo. Not that unusual, right? You've probably had a meal on your own as well. But beyond dining solo, what about dying solo? The number of single-person households is growing in South Korea and in Japan. And this change is spurring the rise of businesses targeting those unattached. Korea correspondent Lim Yun-suk and Japan correspondent Michio Ishida join me in today's episode to talk about the impact of this growing demographic and whether dying alone is really as dreadful as it sounds. Welcome, ladies. Hi, Yun-suk. Hi, Michio. Hi. Hi. Okay, solo living, is it really that bad? Let's get a lay of the land first of all. Yun Suk, in South Korea in 2021, the ratio of single-person households hit an all-time high of just above 33%. Why are so many people single? <laughs> well, you know, I think a lot of young South Koreans just don't think it's really worth putting in all the energy to get married these days. There are a lot of South Koreans who feel that getting a proper job and working their way up and hopefully succeed in what they're doing is the way to live and not to get married and have family. And that's why there is data showing that by 2050, though many experts think, you know, it could be much sooner, four out of 10 households will consist of just one member. And even if they are marrying here in South Korea, many of the young women that I spoke to and many of the young women surveyed here in Korea say they are reluctant to have even kids. They say, because here in Korea, a lot of them would have to quit their jobs if they did, because it's just so expensive to raise a child here in South Korea, and it's just not worth it. And that's why right now, South Korea has the world's lowest birth rate. And, you know, more than 30% in this country of, of 52 million population, and many in their 20s and 30s just say they have no plans to tie the knot or have children. Yeah, I'm nodding as you're talking there because I always thought I would be one of those women, you know, stay single, focus on career, live life on my own terms. I have two kids now, but I definitely understand that appeal. Michio, the same phenomenon in Japan, right? And the fact that people are getting older also has to do with it. Right. Well, I think the situation here in Japan is quite similar to what's happening in South Korea. But Japan's life expectancy is one of the longest in the world. Naturally, when your spouse mm -hmm. dies, you become a single-member household, unless you have children and grandchildren living with you. But this kind of a family is becoming very rare here in Japan. And then, on the other hand, there are young people who want to be left alone. I was talking to a Nobara Research Institute, and what they told me was that in their survey of 10,000 cases, many young people say that they're tired of having to communicate with others to through social media, they don't want to be bothered so much anymore, <laughs> so they want to remain single. Leave me alone. <laughs> and, then, and then there are the women who wish to focus on their careers. Those who are of the generation when the 1986 Gender Equality Opportunity Law went into effect. And, you know, that at that time they were encouraged to work. Those before their generation were expected to become housewives because they had no income. They couldn't support themselves. So this has changed over the years. And let me give you some figures. In 1970, only 1.7% of women remained single in their whole lifetime. By 2020, it's 17.6%. Now, allow me to introduce you to a 60-year-old single woman I met. She's Junko Yamada, who was married briefly when she was in her 20s. 
Now she's a dance instructor and creates her own music. My grandmother and great-grandmother lived to be 94 and 97. They lived a long life. So I have many years ahead of me. I have a group of friends who have agreed to live with me. I will spend the rest of my life with them. I love freedom. I do wish to have a partner, but freedom is my basic need. You say she's in her 60s and she's saying how her grandmother, great-grandmother lived another 30 years. She's got a long way to go, but age is just a number, right? Okay, Yunsuk, this is really interesting. In South Korea, there is one college, only one, that offers a program focusing on mortuary science. And uh, in your report, you talk about how students get to do everything from experience their own funeral to how to properly dress a corpse. That's very scary. Why major in this field? And did it change their perspective on life and death? Well, yes, it did. And, you know, this is only one of the four-year university. There are two-year universities here in South Korea that offer the course, but it became a four-year undergrad program on mortuary science. And there's only one of those here in South Korea. But it is a very popular course because most of the time they were telling me that they will be able to get jobs after they graduate. With South Korea right now becoming an aging society, there is a lack of people working in those fields. And so these students are, are in demand and they're guaranteed jobs after they graduate, which is very difficult to say for other young South Koreans here these days. And you know, some of the students were saying that they decided to take up this major after seeing people work in this industry. For example, there was this one female student and she was saying that she saw how the funeral directors were moving around and, and working, taking care of the funeral arrangements uh, for the families uh, when her grandmother passed away. And so she thought that this would be a great industry, a great job to do. Um, and that's why she decided to take up this major. And once they start taking up these majors, they a lot of them were saying that they naturally start thinking more about death, about dying than their friends would or than they did before they took up this course. And their perspective on life and what to do if they died, um, especially since a lot of the young students are saying they're not going to get married and they won't have kids. So when it's time for them to die, they know that they're going to be alone, um, like this one male student, Shim Jae-hon, who was majoring in this course. Oh, cool. I would go for natural burial because this way I won't become a burden to others and I can just leave without incurring any expenses when I die. Yeah, I know also someone who does autopsies on bodies and they say, you know, it's not all that sad. Death is a part of a person's story as much as life and it's a very fascinating part of a person's journey. Michio, do you find that the death industry in Japan has evolved because of this trend? Well, you know, actually, it's still trying to evolve here in Japan because naturally it's about a family matter. The family hosts a funeral. And actually, I was in, at a funeral just recently uh, because my in-law had passed away. And you see that there are family members coming together to send off their loved ones. So that is still happening. But then uh, there is an increasing number of um, single member households who are dying alone. So what to do them with them? So the government, the local officials are just starting to put laws together, local laws actually, so they can start thinking about how to deal with these people who are dying alone. Mm -hmm. 
That's a very sad thought. The idea of living solo is very different from dying solo, right? Okay, stay with us after the break. We're going to talk about paying for your own burials in advance. Is it preposterous or is it pragmatic? That's coming up. Are you looking for ways to make your money work harder for you? Or need tips on saving, investing and making financial decisions? Join me, Andrea Heng, on Money Talks, CNA's top personal finance podcast. From investment basics to the FIRE movement and legacy planning, Money Talks looks at financial trends and stories that matter to you. Check out our complete playlist on the CNA app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us or subscribe for new episodes every Tuesday. Welcome back. You're about to hear from Huang Kwang Ho, a director of a South Korean funeral home, and he explains a trend that's gaining momentum. Many people plan their death in advance because they don't want to be a burden to their children. In the past, children generally carried these burdens. But now that culture has changed and people arrange their own burials. Yun Suk, tell us about the dollars and cents. How much does it cost? And are some facilities getting creative when it comes to selling funerals? Well, they are now. And, you know, usually it is quite expensive here in Korea these days. But because there are a rising number of people, aging people who are passing away, the funeral services and the cemeteries and how they're buried, you know, all those arrangements and everything, they're all doing very well here in Korea. Business owners, and that's why they're trying to come up with different ways of doing that, different ideas. I found one that was set up like a library. We were doing this search to see what kind of funeral or what kind of funeral services there were and what kind of facilities there were. And there's this one place where you go in and it feels like it's a three, four-story library. You go in and the room is filled with books. And it does give this kind of a warmer look to it. It has this warm feeling and it doesn't really feel that cold as you would say in a normal cemetery here in Korea. And so a lot of those, the business owners are coming up with different ideas at this place, which looks like a library. You can keep the ashes on one shelf and you have the ashes there. And then you also have this one book where once you open it up, you have pictures and letters and, you know, memories of the loved ones. And and I thought that was quite nice. And so I was able to see some of the family members come and they would open up this book, go through some of the letters and some of the pictures. And it was a time for them to be able to spend time with their with whoever they were coming to see, but in a nicer place than you would say in a normal uh, cemetery or a columbarian here in Korea. So you know, it is changing. Now that place was charging about three thousand eight hundred US dollars to about eight thousand US dollars. And it's a one time payment. And the director of that place who we just heard from was telling me how a lot of his customers, all of a lot of these people who were there now were people who had come to him earlier and they were preparing for their own funerals because Either they were single or even if they did have children, a lot of the South Korean parents feel that they don't want to burden their children with the funeral arrangements or whatever they need to do. Because here in Korea, when it's the public, when it's a holiday, when it's a special event, you do still have to you know, make all the food, gather all your relatives, everything. We go up to the grave sites and we pay our respect to the ancestors or to our, you know, to our parents. And many of the South Korean parents these days feel that that is a burden 
that they're giving to their children, and they don't want to do that. And that's why a lot of people, once they feel like, okay, now I think it's time for me to get ready for my own death. I should go and prepare for my own funeral services, and so the children can just attend, but they don't have to worry about it. Yeah, these arrangements are actually very—they can be very complicated logistically and cost a lot of money. So it does make sense. You want to leave with your family members, not having to deal with all of that. And Yunsuk, the concept of a natural burial in South Korea—can you tell us about that? What is it, and do you feel like these unconventional approaches are going to become more mainstream? Well, yes, they are becoming more popular here in Korea. In South Korea, we had the cemeteries first, but because of the the land space, after that, it was the columbarians、um, that were popular here in Korea, and now it's the natural burials. And you know,、um, this is where the ashes can be buried, say under a tree or even under a stone, or or just out in a field together with other ashes. It's it's a place where you don't have individual tombstones, but there is a one tombstone, say for hundreds of people. Who are buried there together with you, and so places like this are becoming popular.、Uh, one reason is it's much cheaper. It's only about three hundred and eighty-one dollars, or less than four hundred U.S. dollars. And so a lot of people are taking up this option. And also, you know, a lot of safer the cemeteries and other places. Families have to take care of them. You need to go and make sure the weeds are not too long, and you know, you have to take care of them. And with people remaining single and not getting married. There's really nobody to come and take care of that. Should I be buried in one of those places? And so this concept of natural、uh, burial, especially among the young here in South Korea, is very popular. Yeah, and taking that one step further, I've read about digital cemetery where there are images or some data online that you are immortalized by, and also the metaverse cemetery and idea. So clearly, there are dollars to be made here.、Uh, and Michio, for singles who make up a large market in Japan, it's a fact that businesses can't ignore for the sake of their bottom line, right? So some companies actually saying it's more lucrative to focus on singles. That's right. You know, talking about the population of Japan, Japan's population is falling, whereas single-member households are increasing. So、uh, this is really interesting here in Japan, and that means that more businesses have to focus on single-member households. Now, I actually visited a pioneer、uh, that is targeting single-family households, which is、um, a barbecue restaurant chain. And、uh, they told me that,、uh, for instance, their customer who comes alone will occupy a seat on the average 25 minutes. They eat quickly and leave. And whereas、uh, those dining with friends, their peers, will likely occupy a table for a few hours or more, and they might not be eating and drinking the whole time. And so, this so-called solo dining style is not so bad for the restaurant business in terms of turnover. And I hear that other restaurants are starting to target and to shift from targeting families to shifting to solo diners. So this is a new trend which is starting here in Japan. And this yakiniku place called Yakiniku Like says that 80% of those who dine at their restaurant dine alone, and there are more women. Grilling beef alone, and that's a thirty percent of all their customers. So this is the trend which is starting here in Japan. That sounds very efficient. You just go in, you eat, you pay your money, and you get out. But you talk about women, Michio. Why are they the ones who are making up the bulk of this clientele? Well, the thing is, women have become more independent in Japan. In the past, they were housewives or they they were dependent on their husband's income. But now, 
more are going out or working, whether it's part-time or full-time. And the men, okay, the solo men, they tend not to have stable jobs. They tend to have a low income. That's why they're not so attractive oh, to women anymore. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's a fact. Yeah? They're not wanted. <laughs> so they can't spend so much money to go out and enjoy themselves. Whereas women, they're more independent. They like to communicate with others. They have hobbies. You know, so they're more actively going out and enjoying solo life. So I think that seems to be a difference. But one man I talked to who's 44 who's living alone, just enjoys life being controlled by somebody to stay home and do housework or help out or whatever. He's, he just goes out, enjoys vacation, spends money on that. And I guess, you know, that's a new type of guy versus the new type of women, you know, that are rising here in Japan. We're getting into a whole other conversation for another podcast. But before I wrap up this episode, I want to ask you both something that I wondered as I listened to your stories. So these people who are living single, they're solo, do you honestly, honestly think they're truly happy? Because we're all social beings, aren't we? yun you go ahead. For me, I mean, I was asking them those questions too. But, you know, I think these days, this concept of happiness has really changed because what is happiness to me and what's happiness to you, Teresa, I think it's very different to what it is to the MZ generation these days too. Being happy no longer requires you to get married and have children, um, at least for the majority of South Koreans here these days. So I think, you know, what's happiness for you and me is very different for the younger generation here in Korea these days. What about in Japan, Michio? What was your sense? Yeah, I think it depends on which generation you're from. The people in the elderly people today, I think they prefer to be surrounded by family members. They want to be together with somebody. They don't want to be lonely. But then perhaps people around my age would be more active in their career and their happiness is to be able to achieve what they're able to achieve and maybe go a little bit higher in their career. And the younger generation, for instance, they may not want to be bothered so much because they just like to shoot themselves on their own, you know, make them look good on social media. That's what's most important for them. And they don't want to be bothered. They don't want people bullying them either. So please leave us alone. And we, we want to lead a happy life on our own. So, you know, the cost of this seems to be very different based on generation here in Japan. So alone doesn't necessarily mean lonely. Thank you very much, Michio and Yun Suk, for a very interesting discussion. Thank you, Sarisa. Oh, thank you. Bye. The TV version of CNA Correspondent airs on CNA every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. Catch up with them anytime on cna.asia. The team behind this episode is Saya Wynn, Clara Ong, Crispina Robert, and me, Teresa Tang. Until next time.